um, that she loved. Uh, another thought I had, John, while you were speaking. So this, I mean, this, this, the, the Patreon here is about the Cold War, but Wells's character in in this idea of um, conflict being necessary, strife being necessary for sort of the aesthetic development of mankind, is a very kind of post Cold War thing. It's very end of history, like the dilemmas of the end of history that we've talked about in the main feed um, of the of the the worry, the fear, the concern uh, after. The Soviet Union's defeated that in the absence of great power conflict, in the absence of this sort of civilizational struggle, that um, that the United States, that Western society, will fall into decadence. And there's like a there's a clear through line between Harry Lyme and some of the uh, war profiteers or rogue. Uh, members of the military establishment that we encounter in some of these post-war, post-Cold War films. And what's interesting to me about that, and maybe I just don't have as quite a good as handle on kind of the post, post-Second World War cultural life, is that it, it did not, it does not seem to me as if there was like a fear in the wake of the end of the that that war that we that 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 was the war to end all wars. Right? There was none of that. Right? There was none of the sort of like we're out of conflict is behind us and we're in this new world, but maybe I have that wrong. No, I don't think you're wrong. I think there's two interesting things you can say about that. There was a kind of, <clears throat> okay, well, there's two things. Um, there is existentialism in the direct post-war years, which because of the experience of the war and totalitarianism, comes up with a fairly bleak picture of human freedom and self-assertion, which is not necessarily immoral or, 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 or but, but definitely raises questions. Um, you know, why, why is, what is Harry Lyme doing actually bad? You know, like it, it, it was, it was a kind of a Nietzscheanism. What, what character, uh, what is actually bad about these things? Should, should we, you know, merely, uh, go along with conventional society or, you know, is it all just attempting to hold us back and we, we have to um, find different forms of freedom. I think it was understandable if you think that most of the social participation that people were so enthusiastic about in the thirties turned out to be really crushing for individual freedom. Um, so it's interesting. And I think, so out of the experience of the war, existentialism becomes popular. And I think you can kind of feel that in the vibe of the movie, if not necessarily in some of the themes of the movie and not necessarily explicitly, but as a subtext. And I think as a part of that, the opposite side of that was the feeling of a rush towards conformity in the post-war era. Um, in the United States, this was especially felt, you know, the, the experience of the war was terrible but the GI Bill, so on and so forth, gave people opportunity to get education, to settle down. There was lots of jobs to be had. Suburbs were on the rise, you know. And a lot of like, you know, we we think of of progress as being a historical progress is going in one direction. It's not so simple, you know. Like the war created a lot of opportunities for women. If you re- look at the way women are represented in movies from the war and before, there's a lot of uh, 
of interesting self-assertion. They are not fifties housewives, you know? And then, and then a lot of, there was sort of a reaction that happened in the fifties. There was two ways of responding to the war. There was a flight towards conformity. And then there was a existentialist. Well, what does this all mean? We, we live through this horror and what does the human project mean in that? And that kind of gives birth to things like the beats um, which, you know, I think in a way, Orson Welles as a kind of character out of Bohemian Greenwich Village is closer to the Beats than conformist America. I think that's right. Uh, and in his attitudes and his thoughts, I mean, his old, old left wing, you know, his, his faith to, to the old left project. The conformity seems to be winning, but I think by the time we reach the 1960s, the anti-conformity explodes in, in a, in a way. And what, do, what does this have to do with the third man? Well, in a way, it's very distrustful of anti-conformist figures because Harry Lyme, as the, as the non-conformist, who is in, in many ways more attractive, more dynamic, more interesting person than perhaps um, more, you know, more attractive, obviously, to the, 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 the lead of the movie, uh, is condemned, and, and rightly so. But he's, there's not much time for his, um, you know particular brand of Nietzschean self-assertion. Ultimately, the police are correct. Her, uh, Joseph Cotton, the, the writer of stale westerns, comes down on the right side. There's kind of an enforcing of a certain type of order. And, you know, it's, it's sad, it, it's heartbreaking, but we kind of recognize it as necessary. So um, I never really thought of the movie in these terms, but there is a certain... And this is also a little British, too, which is, uh, uh, as we've talked about many times with John le Carre, a certain distrust of uh, flamboyant characters as who are attractive, but perhaps, um, you know, not good. And with Green, this, this has a Catholic overtones about sin and so on and so forth, which, you know, it's not I can't go into because I don't know enough about it. Um, so yeah, I think that's just to say it there was a sense that that order needed to be recreated after the, the the Second World War and it was a bit conformist especially in the United States. I think in Britain too and Europe too. But there was another thread which was an existentialist one. And in this movie is it an existentialist choice he makes in the end? Well, in a way, because existentialism, the kind of big idea was there is a certain way in which you cannot justify your actions. You know, they're, they're going to be gratuitous no matter what. So even if you have a moral reason or you have an immoral reason, there's some kind of fundamental identity between that. So the choice and choice is the big making this radical choice of what kind of person you want to be, what kind of actions you want to take is the important thing. So in a way he comes to this, he comes into the character, Joseph Cotton comes to an existential crisis. He has, he doesn't know whether or not to betray his friend and do the moral thing or let his friend off who he loves, perhaps spare this woman he loves pain. Um, but ultimately he makes this certain choice. I think the movie highly suggests that that's the choice one should make. I don't think it necessarily does it in this kind of Sartre or Camus way of saying like, well, play around with like, well, he had no reason to do that. It was kind of totally gratuitous. 
But there is a there is a there's an important choice he has to make in the movie. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right that the movie doesn't suggest that this was gratuitous at all. No. One of the things that always sticks out to me.